Welcome to Passage to Wonderland, literary passages to complete your day. Barbados, 1962. That's where it starts. A lost soul named Iapetus roams the island, scared and alone, after witnessing a traumatic event. Then, a generation later, his granddaughter Calypso is born and carries deep within her the secrets of the past. In this excerpt from The Island of Forgetting by Jasmine Seeley, Calypso is now a beautiful and willful teenager who helps her parents run her uncle's hotel. But she wants more, much more, to her life. The rains begin in March, too soon. They swell the gullies inland, carrying silt and sewage to the coast. The eddies swirl with greenish foam. The sand smells like dying things. The gutters are flooded, and when the tourists arrive in buses and taxis, they have to leap over thick brown puddles. I stand under the eaves of the hotel bar and watch the drops land like tiny grenades on the sand. The tourists gather their books and towels and run for cover. We learned hurricane preparedness in school. We're taught how to shutter windows and avoid power lines down by falling palm fronds. In primary school, they taught us a song. June too soon, July stand by, August a must, September remember, October all over. A tune for the seasons. But here we are in March and it's been raining for weeks. Half our bookings have been cancelled. My mother says we're cursed. My mother blames every bad thing, even the weather, on mine and my father's refusal to attend Mass. The girl is too idle, my mother says often. The devil makes work of idle hands. She's not wrong. I know I should be helping more with the hotel. I see how tired my parents are, how they fall into their bed each night, silent, facing the walls too drained from a day of smiling at strangers to have anything left for each other. But this will not be my life. I know I'm destined for something beyond this place. The rain may be bad for business, but how can I fault the sky for letting go when I too am thick and full to bursting with repressed energy? I want to run along the beach, get soaked to bone. I like to lie on my back in the sea and feel the cold rain hit my face. But my mother forbids it. Sea ants swarm when it rains. You'll get bit, she would say. Middle of the busy season, my father says, coming to stand beside me, his eyes scanning the horizon, as if he can spot an end to the rain there, some invisible respite in the black clouds. We'll be all right, I say, my hand on his shoulder. My father is built like a boulder, broad-backed, a wide, flat face like a rock, good for skimming. He never talks about it, but I sense the same restlessness in him that I feel in myself. Sometimes he will stop what he's doing in the middle of a task, simply drop his tools, and walk away, as if he suddenly remembered somewhere else he's supposed to be. I never follow him when this happens, because I understand. 
Sometimes you just need to be anywhere other than where you are. Sometimes you need to walk away to remind yourself that you can. This is something my mother would never understand. I don't think she's ever run in the rain just to get wet. The difference is at the heart of every argument we've ever had. But my father is different. When I was a child, he would read to me at bedtime, usually English classics, Chaucer, Dickens, Bronte, Austin, stories of pale people in gray places. I would spend my free time roaming the beach, pretending I was a heroine in one of the novels, descending the candlelit stair of some great manor, roving the moors in a gown, my hems six inches deep in mud, like Elizabeth Bennet. Whenever I ask my father why he stayed in Barbados, why he didn't go visit these places from the stories he loves so much, he always says the same thing. I'm where I need to be. I blame my mother, my ever-practical mother, her hands always full, tending to the business of her tiny universe without complaint. When I was little, before we moved to the hotel, my parents and I lived in a village in the countryside, up in the hills in the center of the island, exiled amongst the cane fields. My parents used to have parties every weekend, their friends all a collection of knees in my eyes. They would get drunk on rum and coke and spend Sunday afternoons playing dominoes and barbecuing pigtail on the front lawn, yelling about politics and art and movies. I was too young to know what they were talking about. But it all seemed so glamorous to me. My mother in big white sunglasses, a cigarette burning to nothing in her fingers, the orange ember, a dot that danced around her face as she gesticulated. People always stopped to listen when she spoke. And even as a child, I knew this was a special kind of power. But all this changed when we moved onto the hotel grounds. Nowadays, most nights my parents fall asleep in front of the TV, exhausted, and my mother quit being interesting the same day she quit smoking. I will never be like her, content with such a menial life. And I will never be like my father. I will never fall in love with someone who makes my world smaller. No one is keeping me trapped here. My mother appears then, clucking like a hen. She comes to stand beside my father and I, her eyes narrowed at the rain, as if she can make it stop just by the sheer force of her disapproval. They're calling for a tropical depression, she says. We should make sure the generators have fuel. My father nods, but doesn't move, wrapped by the rain. We could sing, I say. My mother glances at me, as if noticing me for the first time. What nonsense you chatting now, child, she asks. We could sing a song to the clouds, asking them to make the rain stop. My father smiles, but my mother's frown deepens. Stop being blasphemous, she says. She gives me that look, that one she's been giving me my whole life, like she's worried I'm going to burst into flames on the spot, my head contorting around my neck like a demon. I don't really believe I can control the weather, but it's fun to make my mother think I do. My father likes to say my mother is a bush Catholic. She says her Hail Marys and goes to confession. 
But that doesn't mean she doesn't still fear the Obia man and brew bush tea when she's feeling sick. And ever since I was little, I've known she sensed something was not quite right with me. Some fire that even a saltwater baptism couldn't kill. And there's times I feel it too. Something dark, flowering in my gut, wanting to burst free. My days are empty of intrigue, but pregnant with possibility. And I'm feverish with longing for all the things I have yet to experience. Maybe that's what my mother senses. This yearning. And maybe yearning is itself a kind of power, a kind of magic. I catch my father's eye. Rain, rain, go away. Come again another day. I sing, my voice low and gravelly, like I'm casting a spell. I'm hoping to make my father laugh, but he's staring off into the rain again, his face clouded with worry. My mother sucks her teeth. Go and bring in the beach chairs, she says. I drop into a low curtsy and scamper off before she can comment. I love the beach in the rain, free of tourists, the sea churning like it's trying to spit something out. I run until my lungs burn and my clothes are wet and plastered to my skin. Then I collapse onto one of the same lounge chairs I've been tasked with bringing inside. I lay sprawled, my mouth open to the sky, catching the rain on my tongue. I'm bored. I think maybe I'll go to the hotel convenience store and steal a Coke and a chocolate bar. Or maybe I'll go down to the fisherman's wharf and see if my friend Matthew is around. The beach is deserted and the sea rises and rocks in the wind. I'm about to go inside when I hear the buzz of an approaching jet ski, whirring like a large insect. The jet ski gets closer and closer, the rider silhouetted against the grey sky. He rides right up onto the sand beside me and dismounts, shaking out his long blonde hair with his fingertips. And as if on cue, the rain stops. The sun cuts jagged through the clouds like the tusks of an elephant. How can you not believe in magic in moments like this? The man approaches me, and I feel a great swelling. He is tall and fair, all shades of yellow, like a sheaf of wheat. His wetsuit rolled down to his hips, his hair dripping wet. He stands above me now, his body blacking out the sun which crowns his head like a halo. Neither of us says anything. I'm aware of how I must look, my dress sheer and flattened against my skin by the rain, my chest heaving. The sun shifts behind a cloud, and the man's face becomes visible. He is older than I realized, my father's age almost. I prop myself up on my elbows, and for a long moment, we simply stare at each other. Where did you come from? I ask finally. The man laughs, head back to the sky, as if he can't believe it, as if demanding an explanation from the gods. He looks back down at me and shakes his head, laughs again. Then he sets off up the beach, towards the hotel. I watch him go. Turn around, 
I whisper to myself, willing it with my mind. Look back at me. And right before he reaches the bar, he does. And I recognize that look. He looks at me the way men look at the shot of rum they know they'll regret in the morning, right before they down it anyway. I smile and give a little wave. The man disappears into the dark of the bar, and I collapse back onto the lounge chair. Now it's my turn to laugh. I'm definitely not bored anymore. The sky clears, and the sun begins its slow descent into the horizon. I love that line. My days are empty of intrigue, but pregnant with possibility, and I'm feverish with longing for all the things I have yet to experience. So much power and potential in that line. Calypso is a force and part of four generations of one family whose lives are connected by secrets of the past. The Island of Forgetting by Jasmine Seeley is published by HarperCollins. Thank you for listening to Passage to Wonderland. Until next time, rest easy. Rest easy.